So we're continuing our series on the Holy Spirit, which we started last summer. This is my longest series ever. But anyway, and so I could probably go on a little bit longer, but uh, everything seems to tie into the Holy Spirit. So if you have your notes, get those out. There'll be some blanks to fill in, some things to circle. We're glad that you're, you're here today. And so again, the Bible says there's a greater advantage in God walking side by side. God wanted to come and take up residence in our life. And so we've seen this picture probably a couple dozen times. But I want you again to remember how God has created us with a spirit, soul, and body. And when we invite Christ into our life, and again, when I grew up, I knew we were supposed to invite Jesus into our life. I didn't know where he came when he came into our life. We say that he comes into our heart, but that's not our physical heart, and so I really didn't have a concept. But I believe, uh, biblically, he comes into our spirit. So his spirit and our spirit, the Bible says, become one spirit. And that's why the Bible declares that he took our sin and his body on that tree, and he gave us his righteousness. So we have a right standing relationship with God. We are justified just as if I had never sinned, not because I'm a perfect person, but because again, he came to live in my life. So part of us is already complete, that part where God lives. But there's a part of us, our soul, that's a continual work in progress. You know, when you first get saved, God takes some things out of your life immediately, but there are other things that we work on. As long as we're in an earth suit, there's things that we're working on because God wants us to learn to trust him. And we never get to a point that we can do it on our own. And the other part of us, our body, our earth suit, is ultimately going back to dust. Now, I think you ought to take care of your earth suit. The Bible says it's a temple of the Holy Spirit. But no matter how much you take care of your body, the truth is... It begins to wear out. I think at every funeral, I think 99.99% of the funerals at the gravesite, I quote out of 1 Corinthians 15 that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. One day our earth suit has to go down, our spirit goes up, but one day the body will be resurrected again. All right, so that's how God made a spirit, soul, and body. As I mentioned last week, Christians have a lot of looks. We, we have different size earth suits. And some of us have nice earth suits. Some of us have struggling earth suits. But you know, no matter what your container looks like, the truth is, it's not about the earth suit. It's about the treasure on the inside. And the Bible says, Jesus said that he who believes in me, it's true of everybody, out of his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. I just want to remind you, the same Holy Spirit that lives in me lives in every believer. The same Holy Spirit that filled the Apostle Paul lives in you. The same Spirit, the Bible says, that raised Christ from the dead lives in you to give life to your mortal body. I just want you to know you have a treasure in your earth suit. And that's what the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 4, 7. Paul says, we have a treasure in these earthen vessels. I don't want you to ever think that you're a second-class child of God. The exact same power is living in you. You have the potential to minister life everywhere you go. And so last week I talked about the inner struggle being real. You know, every day we get up, there's a struggle. But you know, I decided struggle probably wasn't the best word. It's more like warfare. So if you have your notes, just scratch out struggle, write the word warfare. 
I just want you to know every day you get up, there is a war going on in your soul. Satan is out to attack your mind. He wants to affect your emotions. He wants you to live in fear. He wants you to live in doubt. Because if he can get you to live in fear, then your decision making will be poor. And literally, it's an all out warfare. You say, do you got a scripture for that? I'm glad you asked. 2 Corinthians 10 says, for the weapons of our warfare, he calls it warfare, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, they're not earthy, but they are mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. We're in a warfare. Now, we don't like to talk about it, we almost like to pretend like, you know, if you ask 99% of, of Christians how they're doing, their response is, oh, I'm, I'm doing fine. I'm doing good. The truth is we're in an all-out war. And, the, and even though you guys look very spiritual today, you look spiritual. And I'm glad you spent some mere time. It was worth it. It was worth it. But even though your, your earth suit looks good, I know that every day there is a war going on. And no matter how old we get, I'm just telling you, the battle is real. The warfare is real. He is out to get you discouraged. He's out to get you depressed. He's out you to, want, to just want to give up. I just want you to know the struggle is real. I think I mentioned a couple weeks ago, I don't know how many pastors leave the ministry every single week because they're just so discouraged, so burnt out. I just want to tell you the warfare is real. It's, it's a real warfare. As long as you're in your earth suit, there's a warfare going on, all right? And so Romans 6, we talked about, uh, the Bible says about 15 times in the first 14 verses that we are dead to sin. Our sin shall not have power over you. Our it identifies us with Jesus who died, buried, and rose again, and sin no longer has power control over him. So over and over and over, the Bible says, reckon yourself dead to sin. Sin no longer has power over you. That's a doctrinal fact as a Christian. Now, if God says it's true, is it true? It's true. I, I think about Gideon back in the Old Testament. Remember Gideon, the Amalekites were just oppressing the children of Israel. And God came to Gideon in Judges chapter 6, and he said, Oh, mighty man of valor! And he thought God dialed the wrong number. How many of you ever thought God dialed the wrong number when he called you? And so here's oh Gideon, and he, and he reminds God, because he thought God dialed the wrong number. He says to God, God, is just going to remind you, my family is the smallest in the tribe of Manasseh, and I am the least of my father's house. But God called him a mighty man of valor. One translation says, hey, you are a great hero. Now, what if he received that? Let me ask you, if he said that he was a mighty man of valor after that, would it be true? Yeah, it'd be true whether he felt it or not. Could you see him getting up the next day, getting in the shower? I'm a mighty man of valor. Yeah, I'm a great hero. What would his family do if he got around the breakfast table and said, I just want to tell you, I'm a, I'm a mighty man of valor. By the way, if you ever catch me singing in church, I'm either flowing in the spirit or I'm drunk. All right, that's the only way you catch me. I don't sing. I sing one song at Silver Saints, it's Little Cabin in the Woods. That's it. But let me ask you something. If you believe, if, if what God says is true, if God said to Gideon, you're a mighty man of valor, 
Would he be a hypocrite by singing, I am a mighty man of valor? No. He would be confessing what God said is true. And the Bible says you got to reckon yourself dead to sin. I want to challenge you. Tomorrow morning when you get up, take your shower, I want you to sing, I am dead to sin. Yeah, I am dead to sin. Yeah. Now, I said to the middle service, I said, if your spouse is in there singing in the shower, record them. Not, not, not video, audio. I want to be really clear. I don't want to see any videos on, you, on Facebook. But driving down the road, can you imagine going to work? I am dead to sin. Yeah, I'm a child of God. Yeah. Can you imagine going into work tomorrow and saying, I am dead to sin. Woo, I'm a child of God. No, you can't imagine that, can you? All right. But you got to reckon it. I want everybody to say, I am dead to sin. It's true. Whether you believe it, whether you can experience it, we are dead to sin. Well, chapter 7, after Paul declared we are dead to sin over and over and over, chapter 7, kind of interestingly, the thing that he was dead to has now got him in bondage. I hate that. Just about when you get something, you find yourself in bondage to the very thing you're dead to. So chapter 7 of Romans, is man, he is just struggling. He declared he is dead to sin, but experientially he found himself in bondage to the very thing he was dead to. And I hear Christians quote Romans 7. And they say to me, well, I just, I'm just like Paul. I just can't do the things I want to do. I'm doing what I shouldn't do. If, if this is where you're living, it's not good. I hope that's not your theme verse. Romans 7, to me, is a carnal Christian. Over and over and over in Romans 7, Paul says, I, 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 I. Forty-something times he refers to himself, I, me, my, I, I, I. Romans 7 is you trying to live the Christian life in your own strength. You know, when I was a young pastor, I had some really good sermons on how to live the Christian life. I was good. I had three easy points to everything. How many of you know there are not three easy points to anything? And I, I used to try harder, try harder. I mean, do more, do more. And the harder I tried, the more I did, the more I, I failed. I'm here to tell you, you can't live one day in your own strength. You will fail. And Romans 7, if Paul couldn't do it, can, can we just be honest? If anybody could have pulled it off, it would have been the Apostle Paul. I mean, he said concerning the flesh, man, I mean, he lived up to everything the Pharisee law said. If anybody could have pulled off, it would have been Paul, but Paul was struggling. And listen to part of the struggle here. He goes, what I'm doing, I don't understand. What I will to do, that I do not practice. What I hate, that I do. If then I do what I will not to do, I agree with the law that it is good. But now it is no longer I who do it. It's no longer I, but it's sin dwelling in me. For I know that in me that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. Now, he almost said, well, it really isn't me, guys. It's sin dwelling in me. Well, I thought you were dead to sin. Well, even though he was doctrinally dead to sin, experientially, he found himself in bondage to the very thing he was dead to. And I'm just telling you, I've been in Romans 7 way too often. Even as a Christian, it's possible to fall into Romans 7 and to begin to try to live the Christian life 
in our own strength. God does not want you to try harder and to do more in the flesh. He wants you to understand, by the way, my flesh, I'm 66 years old, been pastoring 45 years. How many of you think my flesh should have gotten better? Here's what I've discovered. I'm just, giving, I'm just being real with you. 66 years old, what I have discovered is my flesh is no better today than it was when I was 13 and got saved. Your flesh will never, ever get better. But as you grow, you discover your flesh cannot do anything apart from God. Do not put confidence in your flesh. So your flesh is never going to get to a point where it can pull it off and live the Christian life in your own strength. That's why Paul said, I die daily. You have to die to the flesh. And so the journey we're on, as we mentioned last week, it begins at the cross. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. And there's only two ways to live the Christian life. We can either walk in the Spirit every day, or we can walk after the flesh. Only two choices. Every day you get up, you're either walking in the Spirit, or you're walking after the flesh. If you're walking in the Spirit, your life is going to be fruitful. You're going to find that river of living water flowing out of you. You're going to find yourself ministering life everywhere you go. But if you're walking in the flesh, you're going to be in Romans 7. Romans 7 is really a miserable place for a Christian. Now, if it were not for Romans 7, I would have never knew that Paul had a setback. Because you study the life of Paul. I mean, it seems like from the moment he met the Lord, he was unstoppable. But apparently there was a point in his life that he tried to live it in his own strength and he discovered he couldn't. And so Romans 7 to me is like a rest stop on the journey. You're still going to make it to heaven. But if you're in Romans 7, you really aren't making any progress in your Christian life. How many of you have ever been on a trip and stopped at a rest area? And those those can be good. But when you're in the rest area, how many of you know you're not making any time on your trip? But they're necessary. But in Romans 7, you aren't making progress in your walk with God. You're literally taking a step aside and you're really kind of going in circles because it all is about you. All right? So a couple things I didn't mention last week. This is important about Romans 7, this this inner warfare that's going on. Number one, Satan through the sin nature speaks to us in the personal pronoun I. I want you to think in Romans 7, how many times Paul said, I, 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 I. Over 40 times he said, I, I, I. When Satan tempts you, he will never, I mean, again, I'm 66 years old. Satan has never one time come to me and said, Roger, this is Satan. I want to I spit a, a temptation at you. He's never done that. But he will spit a thought into my mind using the, the personal pronoun, I. Sometimes I find myself saying, man, I am just discouraged. I'm just, I'm just down. Man, I went through a time in my life that I struggled with depression. And nothing was wrong at home. Nothing was wrong at church. Really, life was good. But when you're struggling with depression or you're struggling with a mental battle, and even though people say, snap out of it, you can't. It's not that easy. But I find myself, man, I am just, I'm just discouraged. And I'm just down. I think Satan spits that thought in your mind and he spits it in there with that personal pronoun, I. And so you're telling yourself, I I just feel bad. I feel like a loser. I feel like a disappointment. 
I'm going to tell you, that's not God. And so I just want you, just listen to people. If you listen to other Christians and they say to you, I just, I, I just feel like a loser, that, that isn't God speaking to them. That's Satan. And so again, he comes in, and by the way, if you're from Louisiana, he comes in a Cajun accent. <laughs> How many of you know Cajuns speak a foreign language? Robin Gurling moved to, to Louisiana for a few years, and all of a sudden, I, she called one day and said, what y'all doing? What y'all's doing? I said, who, 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 who is this? <laughs> she learned a foreign language. But Satan will always come. I just want you to understand, Satan will come in the first person. Just catch yourself when you have a thought, I feel, and if it doesn't line up with the Bible, it is not from God. But I'm just telling you, he'll throw that thought and make it be, because he said it's no longer I, but it's sin, but he kept saying I, 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 I. Number two, when you choose to walk in the Spirit, your flesh will suffer. How many of you know Baptist pastors don't like to talk about suffering? Baptist pastors don't like to talk about gluttony. But every time you choose to walk in the Spirit, your flesh will suffer. All right, let me give you a couple examples. How many of you have ever been to a smorgasbord? How many of you are afraid to admit it? All right, but anyway, if you go to a smorgasbord and walk out comfortable, you are walking in the Spirit. But I'm just confessing to you. When I was a little kid, we went to these morning, and they literally had to almost carried me out. I was miserable all day. But when you go to that smorgasbord, you know, and, and how many of you know the flesh will tempt you to eat more than you should? And so about the time you're full and you should quit, you look over and realize you haven't even been to the dessert bar. Now, God may say to me, Roger, you can have one dessert. But I may be going with Kurt back there, and God says to Kurt, you can have two desserts. Five desserts, he said. I don't think that's God, buddy. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> it might be God. It might be God. But anyway, if, if he can have two desserts or five desserts, and I go with Leon, and he can have three desserts, when they go back for their other desserts, and I had to have one, I'm going to begin to judge them. They're not very spiritual. <laughs> How many of you think that what God tells you, he's telling everybody? No. And so Leon may be able to have three desserts. Kurt may be able to have five desserts. But how many of you have ever just got that extra dessert that you know you weren't supposed to have? When Heidi brings desserts, I have sinned. <laughs> Who was that? Was that God? <laughs> anyway, how many of you know, you're not, but see your flesh wants to indulge. Your flesh is never satisfied. Your flesh can never get up. You know, if God tells you to get up 15 minutes early to spend the quiet time, can I tell you, your flesh will have to die. My flesh does not want to get up 15 minutes more. Every time that you walk in the Spirit, you have to suffer in the flesh. But we don't like to talk about it. But I'm just telling you, you have to walk in. If you're going to walk in the Spirit, got to die to self. Let me give you some scripture. Jesus said in Luke 9, he said to them all, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. You have to deny your flesh. And I just want to tell you, how many of you know when your flesh is telling you to do something, you're not, it doesn't help you, it, it hurts you. But God is trying to teach us how to trust the Spirit, how to deny the flesh, 
And by the way, I hope nobody feels guilty for having two donuts today. If anybody had two donuts, it's okay. I didn't get any, so if you got two, I'm happy for you. All right? Anyway, again, you just make personal application. In Hebrews 5, the Bible is saying about Jesus, though he was a son, he learned obedience by the things he what? Suffered. You know, when Satan told him to turn these stones into bread, how many of you think after a 40-day fast, that would sound good? By the way, you can't eat bread after you've had a 40-day fast. It would really hurt your stomach. But in the flesh, that had to sound good. But he said no. He said, man doesn't live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord. You know, while we're in these earth suits, God is trying to teach us how to walk in the Spirit and how to trust Him. Can I tell you, the lessons we learn walking with the Spirit and in these earth suits will be with us throughout all eternity. Because why? Why the warfare? Why did God design it where there's that warfare going on day after day after day? Because God never wants us to live one day in our own strength, not one day. And as long as you're in a body, God is teaching you how to trust his spirit. In 1 Peter, I love this verse when talking about suffering. Peter says, therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourself with the same mind. For he who has suffered in the flesh has what? Ceased from sin. I tell you, when sin quits having control over you is when you start controlling your flesh. And boy, Satan will appeal to you through your earth suit. Satan will appeal to you. Again, sleep is good. God wants us to sleep. He gave his beloved sleep. But how many of you know too much sleep, not enough sleep is a problem. Satan will take every God-given thing that is good and pervert it. That's just what he does. But again, we have to learn to walk and trust in the Spirit. So the end of chapter 7, Paul says, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And the word wretched there, one of the meanings is exhausted for battle. I wonder how many of you here today or how many are watching by stream are just really exhausted. Just exhausted because mentally you are literally being torn in different directions. It will wear you out mentally. And again, hundreds of pastors are leaving the ministry every month because, again, they just get so wore down. I'm telling you, it's real. It's real. And we've got to learn, again, to walk in the Spirit and trust the Lord. So Romans 8, I'm just going to give an introduction to Romans 8. There's two things you need to know about Romans 8. Two things you need to know, and that's two no's. Two things you need to know, there's no condemnation and no separation. I love Romans 8. Romans 8, one of the greatest chapters in the Bible on walking in the Spirit, living the Christian life, and it starts with no condemnation and it ends with no separation. Romans 7, by the way, is full of condemnation. If you're living in Romans 7, you are just going to beat yourself up because you can never do what you should do. But Romans 8 is learning how to walk in the Spirit. It begins with no condemnation, ends with no separation. So if you forget everything else about Romans 8. So I'm just going to give you the introduction. So again, there's two ways to heaven. Romans 7 is the carnal life. You're still going to make it to heaven. You're just not going to enjoy God's abundance on this side. But Romans 8 is living the abundant life that God intended for all of his children to live, all right? So let's look at the scripture, Romans 8, 1. This is out of the Amplified Bible, so it's a little bit longer. 
But it says, therefore, there is now, I love that, there is now no condemnation, no guilty verdict, no punishment for those who are in Christ Jesus who believe him as personal Lord and Savior. I want to tell you, when you begin to walk by the Spirit, there is no condemnation. When you're in Romans 7, you are beating yourself up all the time. You're condemning yourself. But when you begin to walk in the Spirit, no condemnation. God does not condemn you. They have a, a, how many of you ever heard of Double Jeopardy? They had a movie. I'm not talking about the movie. But there is actually a, a, a Jeopardy clause in the Fifth Amendment of the U.S. Constitution that exempts anyone from being prosecuted twice for the same offense. Once you've been tried, once you've been found innocent, once the penalty's been paid, they can't bring you back and retry you even if they find more evidence. I want to tell you this, if God declares us not condemned, and the reason he declares us not condemned is because Jesus died on the cross and paid for our sin. I want to give you good news. We could never, ever pay for our sin. But he paid for our sin on the cross. The Bible says he took our sin in his body on that tree, and he gave us his righteousness. And so when Jesus died on the cross, I believe God proclaimed, paid in full. I want to give you some good news. Your sin has been paid for if you're a believer. I love, you know, Romans, uh, John 3.16, we all can quote. But two verses later, John 3.18 says, He who believes in him is not what? Condemned. You are not condemned. I want to tell you, not one day of your life as a believer are you condemned by God. Because that sin's already been paid for. And so why would God ask us to pay again for something that's already been covered? If you begin to experience no condemnation, it is such a liberal freedom. God does not beat us up. God does not condemn us for our shortcomings. They've been paid for. There's a song that says something about when I get to heaven, I'm going to give an account of all my sin. And, and I, you know, I just want to tell you, that's not true. That is not true. I don't think you're ever going to have to give an account for your sin because it's been forgiven and forgotten by God. Why would he bring it up at the judgment? It's forgiven. There's no condemnation in Christ. Now, we are going to be judged according to our works, but not our sin. Because it's been forgiven and forgotten by God. I want to tell you, we have something to celebrate in the cross. He who does not believe is condemned already. So let's just read the first four verses here of Romans 8. For the law of the spirit of life, which is in Christ Jesus, the law of our new being, has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, that is overcome sin and remove its penalty, its power being weakened by the flesh, man's nature without the Holy Spirit, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful man as an offering for sin. And he condemned sin in the flesh, subdued it, overcame it in the person of his own son. He condemned sin when he died on the cross. He paid for what we could never pay for. And if God chose to forgive and to forget, who are we to say somehow we can pay it off again? No, you don't owe it. 
It's been paid. You say, that's not fair that he paid the price. It isn't fair, but that's the love of God. No condemnation, no separation. Goes on in verse 4 to say, so that the righteous and just requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not live our lives in the ways of the flesh, guided by worldliness and our own sinful desire, but we live our lives in the ways of the Spirit, guided by His power. So Roman 8 starts off with no condemnation, and it ends with no separation. And the reason you can never be separated from God is He lives inside of you. So no matter where you go, God's with you. The love of God is with you. No condemnation. Let's read the end. Starts off with no condemnation, ends with no separation. This is probably a verse many of you like to quote. For I am convinced and continue to be convinced beyond any doubt that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor things present and threatening nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the unlimited love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's true. So here's my challenge. Is it true? We're dead to sin. We got to reckon it. But in chapter 7, we find ourselves struggling with the thing we're dead to. You say, what's the answer? Romans 8, begin to walk in the Spirit, and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. You say, God, why? Why the struggle? Because God wants us every day of our life to trust Him and to depend on Him. Can I tell you, the lessons we learn in the flesh will remember throughout all eternity. So here, tomorrow, I want you all to get up and sing in the shower. I am dead to sin. Yeah, I'm alive to God. Woo! I'm a child of God. How many of you glad I'm not in the choir? <laughs> Woo! Denise, go back to sleep over there. <laughs> Wouldn't it be great going into work tomorrow, man? I'm a child of God. I'm no longer condemned. I've been set free. My sin's been paid for. I'm a child of God. It's true. You got to reckon it. Man, we, we pastors sometimes have beat people up so much, we forget to tell them there's hope. We forget to tell them who they are in Christ, that they can live in Romans 8. I hope you don't live one day under condemnation or feeling like God is a million miles away. Closer, closer to God you cannot be, for in the Spirit you are as close as He. God will never, ever leave you as His child. Boy, we need that every day. So let's uh, stand together. Did anybody here not get a communion cup? Anybody here not get a communion cup? If you don't mind, just we got some over here on the right my right your left if you didn't get a communion cup please raise your hand just kind of hold it up and somebody will find you if you're here today and you've never trusted Christ as your savior can you imagine living one day just doing the best you can that would be miserable God wants to come into your life God wants to you to be a new creation 
And I believe right where you are, you can receive Christ into your life, know that he died for you on the cross, ask him to forgive you and to come into your life, and I believe he will honor that. I believe it would be the greatest day of your life to invite Christ into your life. Let's just take a moment, and I just want to just pray a simple prayer. And if you're here, and maybe you've never invited Christ into your life, and you just feel him tugging at your heart, I just want to encourage you to pray this prayer. And as I often do, I just want to encourage everybody to pray it. Dear Jesus, thank you for loving me. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sin and giving me your righteousness. I ask you to forgive me and to come into my life as Lord and Savior. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're here this morning as a believer, I just want you just to ask God just to open your eyes. And would you just say to God, God, I don't want to live one day in my own strength. I don't want to live one day just doing the best I can. Every day I want to walk in the Spirit. I want to experience that river of living water. I believe that's God's will for your life. There's a song we sing says, No longer a slave to fear. You do not have to be a slave to fear ever because you're a child of God.